is The Talking Dead, a podcast dedicated to the AMC TV show, The Walking Dead. Hello there, everyone. My name is Chris. And my name is Jason. And this is The Talking Dead number 408, recorded on Tuesday, November the 20th, 2018. Welcome to the program, everybody. <laughs> the program. That's right. The program. Program. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining us. And I want to start by sending out our goodwill to everyone in the United States who is about to celebrate Thanksgiving this weekend. Yeah. Exciting times. And then Black Friday. And Cyber Monday, yeah. We've already had our Black Friday up here in Canada because no, we, we have it. We get another one. They're going to give us another one. Oh, I know. I know. We get two because we do one after Canadian Thanksgiving, and now we do one after American Thanksgiving. Yeah. And we up here in Canada call it Canadian Thanksgiving. Well, sometimes I do to, to <laughs> I do. differentiate from, you know, the American Thanksgiving. I don't want to confuse everyone or anyone, so Canadian Thanksgiving it is. Everybody I'm working with on this project are all from the U.S., or India, and uh, the questions I've gotten are, do you do turkey and stuff like that? It's like, yeah, it's the same idea. It's just on a different day. Right. It's ex essentially exactly the same thing, but we uh, usually get a little less time off. Yeah, we don't get it. We don't do it on a Thursday. No, it's always a Monday off holiday. Sun Sunday, yeah, we always get a Monday off, but, right. it, you know, whether you celebrate on the Sunday or the Monday is subjective up to you anyways it's not canadian thanksgiving it's american thanksgiving this weekend and happy thanksgiving to everyone uh do they call it turkey day like we do sometimes i don't know if you do happy turkey day if not happy thanksgiving <laughs> there you go all righty well we are here to talk about season nine episode seven of the walking dead we're going to Recap this thing. It is the second last episode before we get our mid-season finale. So you think they're going to be building up to some stuff to a big, exciting finale next week. Yep. But let's dive into this week's episode right now. Stratovarius! <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. Thank you very much. Uh, did you recognize who that was by any chance, Jason? It is a person who has called in numerous times. Oh, man. Was it Bob Newhart? No, it wasn't Bob Newhart. Never called in. <laughs> oh, really? I feel like he, in my heart he's called in. Okay. Maybe he's just called me directly into my heart. Oh, maybe, maybe, maybe he's crank called your heart numerous times. That's right. That was Lee in St. Catharines. Thank you very much, Lee, for that fantastic title read. And before we get started, I want to not forget that this episode was directed by none other than uh, Michael Cudlitz. Yeah who played Abraham on the show. So he has returned to direct and from all accounts did a wonderful job. If you ask anyone on set. <laughs> oh, good. Good. Um, and, and to be honest, I think he did a fine job too. I think there was some stuff in this episode that was uh, really well done. And, you know, you can credit that to the director. One of those things I think is the cold open. So Let's begin. It's a very short cold open, but it's Rosita. We kind of pick up with her running through the forest, panicking. We don't know where Eugene is um, yet anyways, but this is clearly shortly after they, ha they had to hide in the mud to let those walkers pass them by. She's going crazy. She's hearing voices, things like get her and don't let her get away, things like that. Um, eventually, she collapses to the ground. Uh, appears to pass out 
and we don't really know her fate at this point. And that's it. It's a, it's maybe 30 seconds, 45 seconds at most cold open. We go right into the opening credits. What did you think of this cold open, Jason? I thought it was great. Like the, uh, just the fact that it was short, it was intense. <clears throat> she had an injury, a head injury that I don't think she had before. No, uh, I think you're right. I don't, we, we haven't seen that. Um, maybe she just ran into a tree at some point, but we don't know how she got that injury. Yeah, she seemed pretty exhausted, so maybe uh, you know, running into a tree is probably pretty standard stuff for her at this point in her life. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so she had a head injury. She was obviously disoriented, and uh, she was digging around in her pouch for water, didn't find any, collapsed to the ground, roll credits. I mean, roll opening sequence. Right. Yeah, that's not the whole episode. That would be a little uh, disappointing. Well, yeah, yeah. It's not the credits. Yeah, that would be a little short. A little bit. I, I agree with you. I think it was frantic. I think it it communicated her panic really well, you know, and her disorientation uh, because, you know, she's just trying to get away and just doesn't really know what's going on. I mean, she's hearing Walker's talk for crying out loud, which has got to be um, alarming, to say the least, yeah. for her. Can you imagine if your pet started talking and you just like whispering to you? The things my cats would say to me, they're probably, they're probably pretty mouthy in the... A lot of swears would come out of their mouth, I'm sure. You wouldn't want to repeat them in polite company, that's for sure. Yeah, mostly about, hey, where is that effing food, you stupid effer? <laughs> well, you'd have, to, you'd have to teach them, Jason, that that kind of language is fine amongst the right company, but you have to learn when to use it. So yeah, it's I, what I teach my children. Yeah, I try that now. When, when they go, I'm like, hey, what's your language? We have a child here. <laughs> See, you just gotta just gotta communicate to that them, communicate yeah. that to them, and they'll be fine. <laughs> uh, but I thought Rosita was genuinely seemed, you know, terrified in this scene. It was just really tense. I liked how it was sort of frenetic, a lot of quick cutting. We flashed a black sometimes, and there were no zombies in it, other than their voices apparently. But there were no <laughs> actual, there were no actual walkers in this scene, and it was still terrifying. So great job all around from. Um, Rosita and, you know, I'm sure Michael Cudlitz had a hand in crafting this scene, uh, but also got to give props to the editors, too, because I think they did a fine job. Everything about the cold open was good. Yep. Good work. Uh, John in Boston, Massachusetts wrote in, holy crap, did you hear the whisperers? It was so much creepier than I imagined it from the comic. The disbelief and horror on Rosita's face was amazing. It might be her best performance to date. Yep. So that's pretty short high, and sweet. Pretty high praise. All right, after the opening title sequence, we're with Daryl, Henry, and Carol. They're coming into his camp, and there are little traps all around. Carol looks the place over, kind of points out that he hasn't fixed his boat since the last time she was there. So she's been there before. We don't know how long it's been exactly. Right. Uh, Daryl's dog runs up, eating a severed hand, and she questions when the last time he ate was. Right. Well... Yeah. I mean, if he's the dog's eating a severed hand, there's probably severed body parts kicking around here somewhere. Well, yeah. I mean, the dog might just be bringing them back to camp because that's kind of what dogs do, but it's sort of gross. And I hope- Okay, I, I got to call bullshit here. Dogs don't normally bring home severed body parts. Well, okay, not severed body parts, but dogs are known to fetch things. And in the absence of a tennis ball, why not use a severed hand? Yeah, you play with what's available, I guess. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, I know, don't care. I know cats sometimes bring back gifts, right? They'll go outside, yeah. kill a mouse, bring it back. Dogs don't typically do that. 
I mean, maybe because you don't really let dogs out on their own because those idiots would all run away and never come back. But uh, this dog brought a severed hand as sort of a present to its master. Yeah, I guess. I guess. <laughs> um, Bill in New Jersey writes, holy crap, Daryl named his dog Dog. I laughed out loud when I realized this. You two were speculating about what the dog might be named a couple of weeks ago. I was wondering too, but of course, Daryl would be the one to simply name his dog Dog. Yeah. It's a good name. I mean, it's more... As long as you only have one. If you got two dogs, it gets a little confusing. I hesitate to call it a name. I think it's more of a description, but if you put a capital D on it, I guess it becomes a name. The real question is, what do you think the dog's name for Daryl is? Uh, yeah, that is a good question. (laughs) (laughs) Like, what? My cats must have names for me, right? What the hell are they? Probably swear words. Yeah, probably giant dick. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, giant dick, where's my effing food? Okay, that makes sense. (laughs) Kind of works. Uh, anyways, he named his dog Dog. I think that's hilarious and very Daryl. Anyways, we go over to Michonne and the group of new people on the road. They're you know, trotting along on their horses and their wagon. And Michonne accuses Sadiq of having something to say because she can tell he wants to say something. And he reveals that uh, he's glad she changed her mind about the new people. And he says she must actually like them a little bit. I would hope so. Which, I mean, she hasn't really shown much affection for them, but at least maybe some respect. Um, Magna continues. She says she wants her knives back, but the rest of her group kind of says to chill out a little bit. And Yumiko explains that Magna's been on edge since they lost somebody named Bernie. So we don't really know much about Bernie, but she describes an ugly paisley shirt he used to wear. And then they they sort of talk about safety at the hilltop. Michonne just says, you got to trust her. But the point here is that we um, get to know Bernie a little bit, someone who they recently parted ways with. Yeah, hopefully they were able to spend a nice weekend at his house before... uh you know, things went bad. Right. I, I do hope so. Maybe squire him around town a little bit, give him, show him a good time. And yep. then, and then things go bad, unfortunately. Well, when they were talking about Bernie, that's who I imagined was that Bernie from Weekend at Bernie's. Well, uh, yeah. When we meet Bernie later in the episode, it, it kind of strengthens that uh, feeling for a, me. A little bit. <laughs> Just you know? a little bit. Just a bit. Um, but it's important that we, we figured out Bernie here. Um, Magna's also still kind of disgruntled about all of this. Uh, but the interesting thing is, I think it's, it's, it's awesome that the rest of her group are, are able to kind of keep her in line, keep her in check a little bit. She, she, she doesn't exactly listen to them, but she sort of does, right? She's, they're able to calm her down and she doesn't do anything rash or stupid with, you know, after their influence, which is nice. That's true. And I think it's nice that everybody speaks sign language. Like to they a degree, all understand yeah. sign language, yeah. Instead of just having one interpreter, that would be very frustrating after a while. But the whole group learned sign language, which is nice. Which is. It is very nice. So we transition into a montage of stuff that's happening at Hilltop with a rather surprising music choice. Yeah, I thought it was a bit odd. I wasn't sure what I was hearing at the at first. So the song is April Skies by the Jesus and Mary Chain, which is a band that I grew up loving just just so into still enjoy them quite a bit they haven't been around for some time although i think they've recently reformed for some some tour dates but um yeah back in the 90s man 
I was huge into the Jesus and Mary chain. And I know you probably have some connection to them too, eh? Well, I do. I mean, uh, I've I've heard a bunch of it. I'm not. I don't think I'm as big into them as you. I know that I was in a band once that had a song called JNMC, which is for Jesus and Mary, Mary Chain. Yeah, yeah. That well, there you go. I mean, that was uh, yeah. They were they were such a cool band and such a surprising thing, a music choice on this show. So I'm sitting there watching the episode with headphones on, uh, watching it on my computer, and my wife is sitting on the couch over there. And I, I kind of giggled to myself, and she's like, what? And I said, I th- the Jesus Mary chain is playing. And I, I turned on the speaker for a second so she could hear it. And she's like, wow, that's so weird. And I said, yeah. <laughs> At first, I thought like like a browser tab had opened, and it was playing music, or, or like Spotify started playing by accident or something like that, and it was a mistake. But then I realized it was actually in the episode, and I was, yep. I was delighted. It was, it, was, it, was, it was nice. It was. Uh, anyways, and I wonder if this is another Michael Cudlitz, uh, influence, like maybe he's a big fan or something. Or Angela Kang. Or Angela Kang, but I, you know, the director, I, I suppose there's like the music editor or music, whatever you call it. That I'm sure the director's involved, but yeah. Yeah. The director is mainly, you know, f- uh, about getting the actors and the shots and stuff. Are they, they that much involved in the, uh, well, you know, in a movie they are, but I'm just wondering in TV. Well, I don't know. I mean, you're right. I mean, the, the editors work um, on all the episodes. The director might change from episode to episode. So some may have more, you know, hands-on in the editing room. I don't really know, but I wouldn't be surprised if 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 this was a choice of his. I think Cudlitz is probably sort of the right age for it. Do you think he's right. much older than we are? I don't know. It's hard to tell how old I am. Yeah, I know. These days, he could be way younger than us for all for all I yeah, know. Yeah, I, I assume everybody's younger and fitter and smarter and more handsome. Well, make more money. Fifty percent of those things are probably true. <laughs> yeah, so that that's what I assume. <laughs> Anyways, um, I don't know if it was a cutlet's decision, but I liked it. Uh, this tra- this montage we get of the hilltop, uh, we see lots of crops being tended to, lots of them outside the fence, which I thought was really interesting. We see chickens. We see blacksmithing happening. We get Enid in the infirmary tending to some patients. Uh, We get a guy on an old exercise bike that's hooked up to something with a belt of some kind. It's a washing machine. That's what I thought. It looked like he was riding that bike to shake that um, barrel as a laundry machine. Yeah. And there was a woman that was delivering more baskets of laundry. So, yeah, it's a washing machine. Very, very clever. I got to say. And we get someone doing pottery, which was cool. So all kinds of things going on at Hilltop here. I agree. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, All right. We've got a couple holy craps related to this scene. The first one comes from Final Harvest in Germany. Hi, Chris and Jason. This is Final Harvest calling from Germany. And all I have to say is, holy crap, Jesus listens to the Jesus and Mary chain. I love that when you heard the song and then you saw him play the record. All the best. Bye-bye. Talk to you later. And George in Byron Bay, Australia writes, Holy crap, did you see how terribly that song meshed with the Hilltop's introduction? So I think we sort of got both sides of this uh, this scene here. Well, I mean, with the with Jesus and Mary Chain, it's always... Uh, it, it was a, it, I, I was bold. It was a bold choice, let's mm-hmm. say, for, right. uh, for this. And as I said, 
I sort of thought I wasn't sure what was going on at first. I thought maybe it was something my computer was doing instead of the episode, but I I was okay with it ultimately. But as you said, bold choice, a little bit a uh, little bit surprising. Now, while we see all this stuff, we eventually have Tara walking around doing stuff, and eventually she does come up to see Jesus, who is actually listening to the record. And he makes a reference to Georgie's record collection being very good. So Jesus is, in fact, listening to the Jesus and Mary Jane. Yeah, on an old wind-up turntable. Yeah. Like, it, it's uh, it's not a modern turntable by any stretch of the imagination. It's uh, one of those big horn ones, which you uh, you wind up and let her rip. I'm not even sure you can get that to uh, 22 and a half, but maybe. But it probably is 22 and a half. What's uh, the 45 and what's a full length, full size album? What's that spin at? Speed, I, I'm not sure. I, mean, use, I have a record player, but I haven't used it in a very long time. Yeah. I don't know. I, I think 22 was the old old style. Was it? Okay. Yeah. Well, Jennifer on Facebook writes, holy crap, did you see the way Jesus just yanked the needle from that Jesus and Mary Chain record? I have yeah. never screamed at the TV so much during an episode of Walking Dead. He doesn't deserve such a gift from Georgie. She would be furious if she saw how he disrespected that beautiful record. It was pretty harsh. It was pretty harsh. God, you got to be careful with those things. Well, I, I choose to believe that uh, Jesus would never do that. That uh, nobody who was listening to uh, a record with that much reverence would ever do that. I think that they just added it, uh, the sound effect, in afterwards to make a point. I'm not sure what that point was, but uh, I I choose to disbelieve that uh, Jesus would actually do that. Yeah, yeah, you're probably right. He would treat it with more respect. Because he doesn't want to wear the thing out if he likes it so much, right? He doesn't want to break it or... Or anything yeah. like that. Or maybe he wants to do, maybe he uses, uh, he listens to the album a couple of times in order to get uh, good ideas on where to do his scratching. And then uh, <laughs> later on, he'll do his wiggity, 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 scratching stuff. And, uh, I guess so. DJ so Jesus. he doesn't give a shit because he's going to wreck the fucking album anyway. <laughs> I guess. I hope not. They need to preserve. They need to preserve these things. Yeah. Anyways, Tara comes in and she's kind of giving him a status report, an update. He says that the twins recently dropped off a letter from Maggie and she's good and happy. So Maggie is with Georgie's community now. That's why she's yeah. no longer here. And Tara essentially has a list of things that need his attention. She also mentions that Alden is doing something. So he's alive. That's good. Which is nice. We haven't seen him, but he's around somewhere. He needs to get scrap metal, she says. And the thing is, Jesus is reluctant to deal with any of the problems she brings up, and he seems to think that Maggie's absence is temporary, and he's just kind of filling in for her. She doesn't watch the news, I guess. Clearly not, because she ain't coming back for a while. Yeah. Um, but at least we got some some details here on where Maggie is. We don't know why she left. We don't know when exactly, but it might not have been that long ago if Jesus is still feeling this way. Um, they do make a reference to him being reelected as leader, but then no one else ran against him. So yeah. let's say they reelected, right? So maybe they have an election every year. So she could have been gone for max a couple of years, which feels like long enough for him to realize she's time. not coming back. Yeah. Well, it's all a matter of perspective too, right? Cause I know there was, uh, I don't know much about uh, the grateful dead, but I do know that they added a member of the grateful dead, uh, you know, a while ago and it was 30 years and he was still considered the new guy. 
<laughs> right? So it's all a matter of perspective. I guess so, yeah. 30 years is a long time to be considered the new guy. Yeah, the fans are just like, yeah, he's the new guy. <laughs> he's been around, he's been on the band for 30 years. You know what? In the band. In a way, I can understand that. I worked at a job for nine years, and then I switched jobs, and yep. it took me a good three or four years before I started thinking of my new job as my new job. And I just started thinking about it as my job. Right. Okay. Well, that's good. So it takes a while to, to make that sort of mental transition. So, you know, 30 years is pushing it, but I can see what, you know, I can see why they feel that way. Yeah. And also don't, uh, don't underestimate the power of human denial, right? If he's thinking this is temporary, and he's just denying his position. Like he's sitting on a couch in the uh, in in the hallway, essentially. Yeah. He's not taking over Maggie's office. Nope. Right? Because he uh, he considers this temporary. Who knows? It might be an election every second year. It might be maybe they do a fresh election every, the the first Thursday of every month. Who knows? But uh, yeah, he's still considering himself temporary, and he's a, he's a reluctant king, right? Yeah, he's very reluctant. Or or maybe he was elected leader of Hilltop before she left. And he had been leader for a while and then she left and they had a, they had, they had another election two weeks later. So it's hard, it's hard to say really. I don't know. If, if that happened, she would have talked him into taking the office instead of just, I'm going to leave. And then he was uh, it's like, okay, I'll do this in your, in your absence. And mm-hmm. then they had an election. It's like, okay, well, they've, you know, uh, ratified the fact that I'm the leader now, but I'm still not taking the office because it's still temporary. Yeah. No, you're maybe, right. Maybe she left all her stuff in there, you know? Maybe her yeah. blankets and her clothes, and uh, there's a bunch of stuff in there that's hers. That's obviously hers, and he doesn't want to move it out because where is he going to put it? Well, and all those maybe she lives in there. Yeah, maybe her bedding is still like on her bed. And it's like, well, I don't want to like move it all out. Why do I box it up? It's not like we have storage spaces here. She lives in there, so if I move her out, I have to find another place for her to live when she gets back. Sure. It's it's all very complicated. And all those paintings of her family on the wall are probably still up unless she took them with her, but yeah. I can see. I can see why he wouldn't want to move in immediately. Yeah, I assume she took her child. She did. Uh we we well, it's mentioned later that she left with Herschel, so she took the kid. Okay, good. Good. That's, that's important. It's very important. How did you feel about this whole scene, though, as a bit of a portrait of what Hilltop is like now, just seeing the the progress and the developments and all the crop growing and stuff? Did you get a feel for, like, it's been six years and things are going pretty well here? Yeah, it's going pretty well. It's gotten to the point where there's a bureaucracy, right? which is important, right? Yeah, just to, to give you a sense of, like, things have settled down enough where... Uh, you know, you have to make decisions on things like making room in the garden for medicinal herbs or uh, going up for scrap metal. I, I don't think that uh, it makes a lot of sense for the leader of this community to make all those decisions. It's like delegate, man. You don't have to make all the decisions. You just have to appoint people to uh, to make those decisions for you in various departments. Right? Yeah. That's why you don't... You know, making all the decisions just makes you the bottleneck and makes it a very annoying job, I would think, as well. Right. Jesus needs to learn how to delegate. But I got the feeling that that's kind of what Tara was there for, right? She was maybe not making enough of the decisions or didn't have enough power in her role there. But I feel like she was coming into it, uh, you know, soon. So 
and and honestly, since he was kind of doing things reluctantly, I don't think he was doing a very good job. And I, she was probably propping that place up a little bit, just being behind the scenes some way, I would think. I mean, she's the yep. one that seems like she's day to day, you know, working with the people and trying to deal with their issues. And like you said, making room in the garden or what did Tammy want? I forget. She, she, she said Tammy had an issue too, but just dealing with that kind of stuff. Yeah, because Jesus was sitting on his ass listening to records all day, which hey, sounds great, but when, <laughs> not when you're the boss. <laughs> no, but maybe he was reading reports. Maybe uh, Tara and the different people were uh, have been writing reports for him to uh, to review. Yeah, well, somebody somebody probably was. Anyways, we move we cut over to uh, Daryl at his camp with Carol and Henry, and he fires a crossbow at a snake on a tree. I was a little confused by this. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I wrote what in the notes because I don't understand. I didn't know snakes could climb trees like that. Well, they can, but they have to be bigger snakes and they have to be smaller trees. Because they wrap all the way around. Like Google or go to YouTube and look up snake climbing trees. And a little snake like that don't climb no big friggin' tree like that. (laughs) No, I was a little confused about what was going on there. I thought maybe... Maybe the snake was already like stuck to the tree and he was target practicing it to hit like a small target. But no, he, he, he bolted that snake to kill it. And I don't understand what it was doing stuck to that tree. So if anyone can explain, maybe there is a breed of snake that can climb trees like that. I don't know, but it seemed weird to me. It was a little weird. It was. I mean, if he shot a squirrel, I mean, we've seen him with like a bandolier of squirrels in the past, you know, if he had shot a squirrel, I'd be fine with that too. Well, squirrels climb trees. I see them do it nearly every day, right? Yeah. They, yeah, they climb trees. Or a raccoon. Raccoon, I've seen, I've seen them climb, climb trees. He could be shooting a raccoon, but no. fat raccoon, or is that just city raccoons? Who knows what country raccoons look like? Well, you and I come from Raccoon City, my friend. We see all shapes and sizes of raccoons in this shithole. That's right. (laughs) And Raccoon City from those, uh, those movies. That's right. Uh, it was shot here and I thought that was, was funny that it was called Raccoon City. Uh, Resident Evil we're talking about. <laughs> Resident Evil, that's right. Yeah. So he shoots this snake and then he kills a nearby zombie that's caught in a trap. Uh, he's got a bunch of traps for this sort of purpose. Carol says that he's been out here longer than he said he'd be. So, you know, they kind of know he was coming out and he maybe said, I'm going to go out for a bit and come back. It's like, I'm going out to get some snakes off a tree and that's, You'd think that would take a day, and then three months later, he's still gone. It's bad. Yeah. Well, that's a man thing to do, right? It's, uh, right. I'm going to go, I'm just going to go for a few minutes. I'll be, I'll be right back. Just going to the- gone for like six hours. Going to the corner to get milk, but then you stop in the pub for four beers. Right. Or go see a movie, or, <laughs> you know, you're also doing something like, I've just got to go downstairs to, uh, to enter my timesheets, and then you end up getting stuck in a YouTube spiral, and you're there for four hours. Right, right. That never happens to anyone we know. Yeah. That might have happened to me on Sunday. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Well, Carol says he's been out there longer than he said, and she tells Daryl that she's on the way to Hilltop with Henry, and she wants Daryl to come, because I guess she feels like he needs to re-enter the communities. Uh, She wants Daryl to look out for Henry, but he says he's got to learn to handle uh, handle things himself, just like everybody else has. She wants a babysitter for him. Like, I don't understand. Maybe she, is she using this as an excuse to bring Daryl back into society? 
Yes, she is. I But I think she's positioning it like, I want you to mentor him because you're smart. You're, you know, a bit grumpy sometimes, but you're a survivor. You're good at a lot of things. And Henry needs that mentor. So come with him, hang out with him, be his big brother, and he can learn a lot from you. I think that's what she was getting at. Okay. And it kind of makes sense to me. Like, you know, I don't know if Daryl might not be the cheeriest guy, but he could teach a young man a lot of things, I would think. I would think so. How to shoot snakes in trees. Well, that's one of them, yeah. How to name dogs. (laughs) No, naming dogs is not his uh, (laughs) forte. (laughs) Sure. I think dog's a pretty good name for a dog. This is dog. This is cat. This is donkey. This is squirrel. (laughs) Donkey. Good Lord. Yeah. Where do you Uh, find a donkey? Well, I don't know. You look hard enough, you find a donkey. Amy on the internet writes, holy crap, did you see Daryl cut the head off of that snake and put it in his shirt pocket? Is he making a snake head necklace? Oh, yeah. I actually got one. It's that secret necklace. I actually didn't notice him cut the head off and put it in his pocket, but I like the fact that he did that because that's a weird Daryl thing to do. It is kind of a weird thing to Daryl do. What? (laughs) (laughs) You know, I know what you mean. (laughs) Yeah, thanks. All right. After a commercial break, we come back and we have Michonne and everybody arriving at Magna Magna and the group's former camp. So the idea is they've gone here so Michonne can check if their stories sort of line up with uh, or, or ring true. And they find out that not much is left. They decide that a bigger herd came through and destroyed the place. So they scavenge a few things. They kill some remaining zombies that are hanging around. And it looks to me like they'd been living in sort of a shipping crate that was knocked over. And some of the zombies in the area got partially stuck beneath it. Yep. That's what I saw as well. Okay. I, I, that's, I, th- I was thinking it would be pretty difficult to push that thing over, but I guess you get enough zombies, enough force. So they just roll through anything. So that seems to be maybe what happened. Um, Yumiko suggests to Magna that she takes something of Bernie's to remember him, but she's not having any of that. And then Sadiq finds a recorder, which reminds him of his mom. Ah, yeah. The little instrument that we all had to learn in, in, uh, school as young not children. Me. You didn't do recorder? No, we learned ukulele. Oh, that's so much cooler. Uh, yeah, sort of. But it was fun. I'd rather learn uke than recorder, but I had to play the stupid recorder. Yeah, there was a program in the uh, late 70s, early 80s, uh, where you were, they bought a whole bunch of ukuleles for kids, in, especially in Alberta. And uh, we all learned ukulele in, in school. It was great. That's fun. I, I, I have a ukulele now, but don't know how to play it. I have several. And I, I sort of remember a little bit of how to play it. I know a couple of tunes. I am... For some reason, not surprised you own several ukuleles. I get them as presents. Oh, yeah? People hear that I learned ukulele when I was in school, and it's like, oh, well, this is this instrument is only $12. I'll buy that for Jason. He'll love it. It's like, thank you. I'll add it to my collection. Wonderful. <laughs> yeah. No one ever buys me recorders, which is fine. Uh, yeah. The kids at some point will probably have to play one, although Soph is learning the flute now, so that's nice. awesome. <laughs> Really? Does she have one? Because I know Jenny has a few kicking around here somewhere. Why? You are like Luke on the show. You guys are collecting musical instruments. In fact, in this scene, Connie calls his obsession with musical instruments a fetish. <laughs> oh, well, yeah. I will talk more about his collection and stuff a little bit later. But uh, 
I do have a lot of musical instruments. Yeah, well, that's okay. I guess there's worse things to have around the house. Uh, yeah, Soph has a flute, and she's learning to play it, sort of. I mean, she's early on in her floating days, so it's... Mm-hmm. Mostly screeches and stuff? Yeah, yeah, exactly. But she can okay. make a note. I mean, she can play it better than I can, that's for sure. That's super. Yeah. Uh, okay, well, after a bit uh, in this scene, Michonne tells DJ, he's that other guy that's been hanging around with them, to take their weapons, and then they can proceed to Hilltop. She says she won't escort them there if they are armed. And, of course, Magda is unhappy about this, but once again, the rest of her group agrees to surrender their weapons because they can kind of see the bigger picture and think a safe place to live is worth going unarmed for a little while. Yep. All right, Jesus is on horseback, and suddenly, out of nowhere, he's tackled off the horse. Yeah, like literally out of nowhere. Well, it really is. Um, it turns out it's Aaron, yep. and they have a fight, but what's going on here is they've been secretly meeting in the forest and basically practicing their fighting skills. Jesus has been training him, yep. and eventually Jesus gets the better of Aaron, but he does seem very capable, Aaron does. so Yeah, Aaron's been uh, practicing good. He's actually now able to leap uh, like four feet straight in the air to not to dehorse somebody. Well, at least. Uh, I mean, it seemed like he came flying in, you know, like Superman from the side there, but... Yeah. So he can jump really high and really far very stealthily. Is it a bird? Jesus. Is it a plane? No, it's just Aaron. <laughs> During this fight with uh, between Jesus and Aaron... Uh, I actually, uh, it was one of the only times I spoke out loud to the, uh, the computer screen. I said, uh, geez, I hope they make out. <laughs> and they didn't. I was a little surprised. You just hope the fight devolved into a makeout session. It or- totally should have, I- in my mind, two guys sneaking out into, uh, away from their secret camps like uh, Romeo and Juliet or Romeo and Romeo or whatever. And meeting in the woods to have uh to do training and fighting yeah it totally should have devolved into some kind of makeout session is at de- least is devolved the right word evolve maybe evolved into a makeout session evolve well i mean it's the, the idea was that they uh that aaron get training right, right. for you know personal combat training so i would see the makeout session as a, a de-evolution or devolving into that okay because that's not the intent sure right fair enough or maybe, I don't know, maybe at first it, uh, this was the idea, I don't know, but it turns out that they were just being buddies instead well, of uh, sneaking off into the woods yeah. to be together. Great. I thought I thought maybe they were a couple that were being very secretive about it, and I was excited about that. Well, do you think they are? I think there's an implication here that they might be. Well, they could have, it could have been, after the fight was over, I was expecting a little more affection. There was It was just a pat on the back. That's true, that's true. But so you're saying like maybe if, when they were sitting there chatting, they were, you know, snuggling a little bit or holding hands or something that would have I didn't see that. No. I wanted to see that on the screen, but I didn't see, uh, I was hoping for a romantic connection between these two, but I don't see it. Okay. Well, I, you're right. I agree with you. I don't really see it, but you couldn't help but think about it while you were watching it. So I think that there could be something there and maybe more will be revealed in the fullness of time. But for now, it's a little bit ambiguous i don't think it's ambiguous i think they they showed us that they were buddies and that was it like if they change it from this point forward this is a lie that they 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 lied to us they lied to us about this if that is actually revealed later well but i don't think it's a lie like 
people in relationships sometimes just hang out and talk to each other, don't they? I mean, they're not always... Not after you... If you don't see each other for a while, Eh, and then you plan to meet at a secret location in the woods, and then uh, you have a a fight to... to do some training and stuff that just to me Perfect. should end in some kind of affection. Okay. All right. Fair, fair enough. And, and they don't probably see each other. I mean, all that. Gabriel often. and Rosita were doing something that was completely unrelated to, uh, uh, physical contact and, uh, being relatively intimate. They just ended up kissing. They were made that clear to, to us that they were in a relationship right off the bat. Yeah. I was expecting the same thing here. Okay. Well, maybe they don't, maybe they feel like if they, if they did that too often, we'd get tired of all the relationship stuff, but right. I don't know. All I'm saying is I still think it's a possibility and I won't be disappointed if they come back later on and it turns out that these two guys are in a relationship. I think that'll be fine. I think that would be fine. I think that that would piss me off because I would feel like they lied to me in this scene. Okay. All right. Fair enough. Well, just to jump back for a second, Graham in Hereford, England writes, holy crap, did you see Aaron fly over a horse and take out Jesus? <laughs> yeah. It looks very fake, but the whole scene was great with them train and with them training, it was very enjoyable. So yep. I did enjoy that. And I like the fact that they were, they were training. Uh, if nothing else, they seemed like good friends who enjoyed each other's company and enjoyed a little hand-to-hand combat once in a while. Absolutely. Right? And that's fine. Yes. And that's fine. Yeah, yeah. Just don't, just don't make it a lie. All right. We'll find out. Hopefully they're not lying to you, Jason. I don't want the show to lie to you. Yeah, me neither. So during their chat though, they do chat, they do talk about the state of things. Um, you know, they talk about this fair that they're organizing, and apparently it's a fair involving multiple communities, except that Alexandria, led by Michonne, isn't participating. And that's, you know, upsetting both of them. Jesus says that the communities need to come back together. Um, but before they can finish their conversation, we see a flare in the distance. They go to investigate, and they find Rosita, who is sort of delirious on the ground. Now, she's not making that much sense kind of mumbling about some things. And I thought it was really interesting. Her first question when Aaron walks up to her is Aaron, what are you? It's not like, Oh my God, help me. It's not like Aaron, where did you come from? It's what are you? So she's clearly, you know, confused about what's been going on because she thinks that the walkers are talking to her. Yep. Right. Yeah. She's very disoriented and this probably has to do with that head injury as well as being completely exhausted. Yeah. There's a lot of factors for sure. Um, she also says that she left Eugene in a barn and then some zombies start approaching so that, so Jesus and Aaron decide that they have to get her back to Hilltop and they hope that wherever Eugene is, that he'll be safe for the night. And we go to a commercial break. You better be. He's in a barn somewhere. Well, I mean, that's better than, you know, not being in a barn. So hopefully he's it's okay true. for the night. Yeah. Would it be, is the barn better or worse than stuck up a water tower? Um, I mean, stuck up a water tower might be better because yeah. I don't think zombies can climb ladders, especially ones that are knocked down. Uh, that's, that's absolutely correct. Mm-hmm. The, uh, the barn is definitely not better than the water tower. Eugene made a mistake. Sure. But I mean, at least she didn't leave him. He's injured, remember? So at least she didn't leave him completely out in the open and to fend for himself. Maybe it's a barn made of concrete. So, you know, it's pretty durable. 
Is that a barn? No, it's more of a barn. Have to more of a building then, I guess. <laughs> it could be a barn. Why can't barns be made of concrete? This is an interesting question. Let's let's talk about it for an hour or so. Well, how about barns generally are made of wood, but I guess you know, concrete barn could be the sure. name of could be the name of an album. I think. Okay. All right then. Uh, after the commercial break, we have uh, Daryl, and he's cooking for Carol and Henry. He's skinning that snake that he caught. Carol seems to be kind of putting on a brave face. I'm not so sure she's all that keen on eating snake for dinner. Uh, or foot. Or foot. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's nice that you're cooking for us, that you have a rabbit and a snake and uh, part of a foot. Right. It's some rabbit snake foot stew. Yummy. Sounds good to me. Just need uh, some rice and some radishes and you're all set. Absolutely. Henry, he questions whether Daryl is the right guy to keep an eye on him. <laughs> and I get it, you know, he might not know Daryl all that well. And based on what he's seen so far, he's not so sure if he's really the right guy to be hanging around and learning from. But, you know, Daryl is who he is and he's not going to change. Uh, we cut to nighttime, though, and Carol is giving Daryl a haircut. That's nice. Right? He's he's the only uh, character who hasn't really had a haircut, it looks like. And Sally on the internet wrote in and said, holy crap, Daryl got a haircut. And by haircut... Literally, a hair appears to have been cut. At this rate, in 200 seasons, he'll be bald. <laughs> yeah, she didn't really cut a lot of his hair. Uh, no, not too much, but I guess she's just trying to clean it up and push it behind his ears a little bit. So, yeah, you know. Uh, while this is happening, he reveals to her that he originally came out there looking for Rick. He says they never found a body. And after a while, he says it just got easier to stay out there. So... Daryl was looking for Rick, so he wasn't, it's not like everyone just assumed, oh, he must have been blown to smithereens. Um, you know, maybe there's some hunch that uh, that Rick survived, but they have no idea where he is. To me, it also implies that Rick has actually never come back in six years, because if he had, Daryl wouldn't be out there looking for his body six years later. That's true. So how long has he been out here? Six years? Well, I don't think he's been out here six years. It seems like an awful long time, but I suppose it's possible. And Carol's been coming every once in a while just to check in on him. I don't know. Yeah. You think he'd build a cabin or something? Well, rather. Especially that now that they're up near Washington and uh, there's winter, I assume, colder weather anyway. So, you know, build, sorry, build something that uh, is a little more protection from the, from the elements than his, uh, Big tent with holes in it. Right. On a raft. Which is on a raft. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't. It's got to be cold. doesn't seem like a good place to live by any stretch. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know if he's been out there for six years, but I guess it's possible. He must. You'd think he'd go out looking pretty soon after the explosion, but who knows? I don't know. I guess he. Yeah. yeah I, I don't know. Seems like a long time. I'd find, you know, if I was out there for so long and I needed to, uh, you know, get myself out of the elements, every once in a while I'd probably stumble across a two-by-four or a broken-down sheet of plywood. I'd build some kind of shelter. Build something. Exactly. Yeah. I don't know. Well. Dig a hole. Put a tent over it. You got to, then you're living in a hole. Like, there's that other hole. There's a big hole that is probably around here somewhere. That he could live in. Mm -hmm. No, he's got experience with holes. Well, why not? He's been down that hole. hole. He knows it. <laughs> he does, exactly. It's a nice, deep, dry hole. It's perfect. 
This time he <laughs> this time he might even put a ladder in to get in and out easy, you know, make yeah. life easier. Well, they eat and Henry asks Daryl about how he got the scar. And Daryl doesn't answer. Instead, he goes to find Dog. And I noticed that when Henry asked about this scar, Carol, until now, had kind of been giving Daryl these kind of happy, you know, friendly looks. But when the scar comes up, she seems to look really worried. So regardless of how long he's been out there, I feel like there's something going on that happened in the last six years that, you know, we, we don't know much about yet. The thing is... Well, you know what? Let's move on. I have more to say about this scar in a little bit, uh, but let's move on first. Um, We go over to Michonne's group, and they're all sleeping, except for Michonne, who's sneaking around in the dark for some reason. I guess she's on watch, maybe? I don't know. No, this is what she does. She's been doing this for a decade. Oh, right. Of course. We know that she goes out and, and kills zombies at night, but she does this even when she's on the road? I mean, she doesn't get sleep? I guess she needs to. It's what she does. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's doing that. She enters a building where they have their horses tied up and she finds Luke, who's awake, fiddling with something. <laughs> he uh-huh. won't he won't turn around at first, and when he does, she does not hesitate to katana whatever it is he's holding. Everybody else gets up and it turns out that she murdered his violin. So, I got two separate problems with this. One okay. is she cut a Stradivarius in half. And even though it's pretend, it's still, it still, it physically hurts. The second uh, second thing is it made a squishing sound. Like it sounded like a uh, squishy, bloody, uh, noisy, uh, fleshy sound. Like it wasn't a, you know, a violin going bong or something. We all know the sound of a uh, an acoustic guitar getting smashed on the ground. We do. It makes a, a hollow wooden sound, possibly with like a string overtone of some kind. Uh, that didn't make this sound. This didn't make that sound. This made a squishy sound like he was holding a cat or something, and Michonne cut the cat in half. Ugh. Well, yeah. I mean, that is kind of ridiculous, because they reveal that it's the violin, you know, immediately. It's not like we have to worry about it at all. So yeah. why would it make a squishy sound? I It shouldn't have. I well, guess that's what I'm saying, is that they added that sound in to give us a bit of ambiguity as to what just happened. Did mm. she just kill him? Cut his hand off, you know, Cut something. his hand off, something. And he could have said, I have a violin in my hand and turn around slowly and not, you know, antagonize the, the woman with a sword. So what was the point of all this then? What was the point of having him be a little mysterious in that moment he couldn't drop it because he was like working on it or something i think is what well i just you can't drop you're not going to drop a stradivarius no but you can put it down gently i think well she said drop it though right and he said i can't it's like okay well a little more communication people i can't drop it it's a violin yeah and i'm gonna put it down well, I mean, the whole, I guess the whole point of this then was to lead to another scene uh, a little bit later where he talks about, you know, the creation of these violins and how it, how it, it enhances the theme of the episode. But I see what you're saying. It was a little bit ham fisted to get us there, right? Have, yeah. have them have to destroy this violin, put a squishy sound in and have no communication between the characters when they should have just said, um, I'm holding a violin. Please don't hurt me. Yeah. Or make it a, a kabong sound of, uh, you know, smashing a musical instrument. Right. A kabong. 
<laughs> El Kamong. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I see what you mean. Um, it kind of bothered me that she destroyed the violin, but these reasons, well, sort of enhance that feeling for me now, I think. Yeah, I, I just don't like the idea of uh, destroying even fake musical instruments. Mm-hmm. Uh, there was, uh, uh, what is it, the, the Hateful Eight? There was a scene in there where, uh, shit, I forget who had the, had the guitar. It was a... Uh, it was an, an, an old guitar, like a very valuable guitar that was on loan to the production from a, a museum. And uh, the scene called for the guitar to be destroyed, like banged. Right. And they were supposed to swap it out with a fake one. But the actor, Kurt Russell, I think it was, anyway, uh, didn't realize that it hadn't been swapped out. And they destroyed the actual oh. very uh, expensive, priceless Guitar. Oh, I actually destroyed it. And uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's uh, the look on her face because she knew that it was the real guitar, and she looked at the. And she was just in shock and horror, and then looked at the Quentin Tarantino saying, "Did that just happen?" It surely did, and it's disturbing. I can just see someone behind the camera come running out, going, "No, no, 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 no! What have you done?" Yeah. Oh. So don't give actors real things to play with. What What about in Zombieland when? Uh uh, Woody Harrelson takes the banjo and, and slams a zombie with it. Is that okay? I mean, it's only a banjo. It's a, well, it's not that it's only a banjo. <laughs> it's funny because it is a banjo. I got banjos it. Banjos are funny. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That made a kabong sound. They're the right? funniest of the, it did for sure. And banjos are probably the funniest of the stringed instruments. Yeah. Kind of like bananas so, are the funniest of the fruits. They are funny fruit. Yeah, exactly. Too bad they're going extinct. <laughs> That's a bummer. Um, so, and I have, I have a problem with musical instruments, uh, not being musical instruments. Uh, I had a set of congas that I really, really loved and I never really truly learned how to play that, but I loved them and I thought they were amazing and I could not live with myself just having these congas as a visual, uh, visually pleasing item in my home. So I had to sell them. Mm-hmm. Uh, I had to sell them to somebody who would play them. Because they were meant to be played. Absolutely. And so, uh, and I, I just, I couldn't, I couldn't live with myself with these congas. I loved these congas. Loved them. They were absolutely majestic and beautiful, but I just, I couldn't live with myself. Uh, so I had to sell them. I remember them. It's too bad you didn't learn how to play them right. Yeah. I could play them a little bit, but I never really got the hang of, uh, hang of it, nor did I spend the, you know, countless, countless hours learning how. Right. But uh, destroying a Stradivarius, even in the zombie apocalypse, it's still the Stradivarius. You can't, you, it's just, it's un- unconscionable. Sure. You can never get it back. You can never get it back. They can't even duplicate it now. Yeah. And I was reading up a little bit about it in the, in the last couple of days. Uh, they can't duplicate the wood. They can't duplicate, uh, the wood is so uh, perfectly uniform in its density that they can't figure out how the hell they could do that. Trees don't grow this way. They don't grow in this uniform fashion. The only way they could figure it is that uh, at the time, the 1700s or whatever, when they were, when they were being made, he got the trees, uh, the oak trees from northern Croatia, which had, it was like a mini, mini ice age. And the trees grew so slowly over hundreds of years that they were perfectly uniform in their density. And he made the violins out of those and they don't exist anymore. Well, there you go. So, fascinating. Uh, 
So if you don't go and destroy that. He's right to collect these things and save them. He's absolutely correct. That's what he should be doing. He should be saving the recorder. And there's a there's actually two separate um, uh, accordions in this episode. Jesus has an accordion in the room when uh, he was uh, at the hilltop. There was an accordion in that room. Okay. And so there was another accordion lying in the grass in this episode as well when they were looking at the music. When he found the recorder, there was a record- accordion there too. So this episode is full of musical instruments and they absolutely should be saved. Wow. Like you don't just, you know, walk into a building and go, yep, that's a, that's a Stradivarius. This building's going to collapse, but you know what? I'd rather have the frozen meat in the freezer and take that instead. No, you take the Stradivarius and you try and save it. I guess in the zombie apocalypse, you might take the meat though. Anyways. It'd be a tough call. It'd be a tough call. Okay, fair enough. Instruments. I'd probably take the. I'd probably try and take both. And if I couldn't save the strat, I don't know if I. I don't know if I could live with that. You, live you myself. Just let the I building collapse there. on you. <laughs> I, I. Yeah, I would. It would be a tough call. I don't think I could live with myself if I left the violin there. All right. Well, let's move on. Okay. Carol and Henry. They're sleeping in a tent. Uh, Henry sees something walk by the outside. He gets up and I guess he thinks he's following Daryl, but he comes across a zombie in a trap again. I believe um, Daryl shows up and kills this zombie and they realize that there's lots of them caught in traps. And now the dog is snared in a trap as well. And he's barking, trying to get out. So Daryl goes to rescue the dog, but he ends up getting grabbed by some zombies. He's struggling to get away. He kills a bunch more, but he's still, in some danger. And then one of the zombies rips its own foot off to get free of this trap. And Henry steps up and kills it just before it gets Daryl. So uh, lucky Henry came out there to save him. And there's a quick mention in this scene uh, of Henry getting just a scrape. And I feel like, is that important? Do you think? Uh, I know people have had scrapes and cuts before, but it seemed like an odd place to make note of him getting this little injury. So I wonder, I wonder if, if, I don't know, Henry's going to come down with an infection or something like that. That could be. I mean, <laughs> yeah. uh, I doubt it though, but he's going to be, uh, he's, he's Enid's new love interest, right? Well, yeah, we find out later that he has a huge crush on her. Yeah. So... Uh, him being in the infirmary is probably not bad for his relationships. Oh, yeah, probably. Good point. Um, I just thought it was a weird thing to mention. But anyways, Daryl is kind of annoyed, and they walk off. But it turns out Carol was ready with her bow, you know, locked and loaded, uh, sort of in the forest there, and neither of them knew she was there. So she saw all this happen. Yeah. And it, it it makes her feel better because she knows that uh, if Daryl's going to be at Hilltop and Henry's going to be at Hilltop, that they're going to work well together and that Henry will be safe and she can go back to the kingdom and uh, be happy with, uh, with her king. Right. Oh, absolutely. Uh, Megan in Wisconsin wrote in, holy crap, did you see that good boy? Oh, I, I mean, Daryl's dog was good too. <sighs> I didn't, I wasn't sure exactly where to drop that one in, but I thought, you know, since the dog was snared here and then. Daryl was yep. in trouble and Henry saved him. There's a lot of good boys in this scene. Good boy. Yeah, exactly. All around. After a commercial break, we come back and we are with Jesus back at the hilltop. Tara tells him that Rosita is okay, that Enid has her on an IV. 
And he admits to her that he's been meeting Aaron out in the woods to train him. And he says, keep the lines of communication open. So I think that's an important point. You know, even though it was in secret, he was communicating with the other communities. But Tara says that people are starting to notice he's gone so much and that's not so good. And of course, Jesus, again, seems reluctant to be the leader, but she says everyone is counting on him and he needs to stop pretending that Maggie is coming back. So for all we know, she's gone for good. Um, She says that she's going to go out and look for Eugene in the morning and that he has to stay here. Jesus has to stay here because the people need him there. Well, he should step down as leader and Tara should take over. Well, clearly. He's so gung-ho for being out there. And he seems like a, I need to go out there kind of guy. He's not a, I want to stay upstairs in my office and uh, read reports and make decisions on, uh, you know, crop space usage. Yeah, it is definitely weird. I think they those two are in the wrong roles, right? Um, he doesn't want to be like the, as you said, stay-at-home leader. She seems much more suited for that. He doesn't, he shouldn't be like the second in command guy either. He needs to be a scout. He needs to be going out, finding things, doing stuff and, uh, putting his skills to use, you know, in an appropriate way. So, uh, that's that we cut back over to Daryl and we see him changing his shirt. And now we see a bunch of scars on his back, including a big X in the lower left, just like Michonne's. Yep. And in fact, another X in the upper right. So I'm going to play a call here from Anwen about these. Holy crap. Did you see the scars on Daryl's back? Just like Michonne's cross scar. And it's making me really, really want to know what happened. Something bad has gone down in the last six years. And I think Maggie's got something to do with it. And I really want to know. But I don't think we're going to know for quite a while i'm thinking the back half of the season is when we're going to find out thank you Anwen. so yeah um obviously the scars are similar to michonne's and something is going on here and they can't just leave us hanging they're gonna have to sort this out but obviously something happened that involves all these characters or both of these characters getting scars and i wonder if we're going to find out over time that more people have these scars maybe when we see maggie again she'll have them as well Um, but, but who really knows? I do think it's, you know, enticing though. And I think it's interesting and I can't wait to find out. Now, the weird thing about all of this to me is I feel like this scene is at the wrong point in the episode. You think that they should have swapped the show the scar, talk about the scar? Yes. Not talk about the scar, then show the scars. Doesn't that make more sense to do it the other way around? Uh, yep. Like, because when... Earlier, when Henry asks about the scars, I'm like, what scars? What are you talking about? Like, I didn't even think of Michonne's scars at that time, because why would he be talking about them then? It didn't make any sense to me. It only makes sense later when you see Daryl's back scars. So why not show the scars and then have the talking about the scars scene? It it seems like it was out of order. So it it does. But uh yeah, it's it, it was kind of confusing, but I, I was okay with it. I don't think I really saw a problem with it when first and second, during the first and second watching of this. Uh, I think it was okay. I was a little confused by like, what scar? Is there a scar on his face that I didn't see? Yeah, but that's but, what I mean. Uh, it's too easy to get confused when he just says, what's the deal with the scars? And you're like, what? what? What's he talking about, right? I didn't even yeah. know if he meant on 
his mom, Carol, or on Daryl, or the dog, for crying out loud. But, like... <laughs> Maybe the foot. Maybe the foot the dog brought back. It's like, why is there scars on that foot? Yeah, who knows? But that's the thing. It wasn't clear. And I feel like all they had to do, because these, these scenes could have fallen almost at any point within the episode, right? Just swap them would have made so much more sense. It's true. I don't know. If there's, if there's something about this I'm not understanding, please let me know. Uh, I, I get that it all came together in the end, but I feel like just reverse them and there would have been no question about what was going on. So anyways, I guess we have all the information we need. It just kind of came in a strange order. Uh, now, Daryl walks back over and he gives something to Henry and he says, here, it's good for the infection. So again, I'm thinking, we just heard about Henry having a scratch, and now Daryl's given him something that's good for the infection. And I think what he means is, put this on it, it's some sort of antibacterial cream so you don't get an infection. But again, I'm thinking, they seem to be bringing this up a lot, so I feel like it might be important. And it didn't occur to me, Jason, that maybe they just need to get Henry into the infirmary for some Enid time, but yeah, maybe that's all it is. So, well, they had to show it earlier. Uh, well, they couldn't just swap out those things showing the scar. They had to film them, film it in a different order because of the uh, the story. Uh, you know, at, there were scars, and then uh, Henry got the salve for the injury, and then he asked the uh, about the scars before, like uh, in the scene where uh, Dog was missing, whereas in this scene, Dog is back. So they couldn't... It, it was filmed this way on purpose. It wasn't just a, a you know, film it and then decide to uh, to swap out the narrative. Uh, it was filmed this way on purpose. So I'm not sure what they were going for, but they could have probably done it the other way around. I don't think it's just being able to fix it in editing. Like I don't know. Fix the problem. I feel like they could have just swapped them, but 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 I don't know. But any 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 thoughts on like bringing up his little scratch? So much and oh yeah, this he on the needs, uh, he's definitely going to be uh, in the infirmary and uh, going to get some FaceTime with Enid, and uh, there'll be a thing. I guess that could be. He's the, a little little young for her. The reason at this yeah, point, but, I think so uh, too. Yeah, like she was, you know, mid-teens six years ago. So in theory, she should be over twenty now, and he's fourteen or whatever. So, <laughs> so maybe it's not a thing, but maybe it is a thing. We'll see. I mean, it, it, it's zombie apocalypse, you know. So well, he's not 16. Is he 16? Well, I he's got to be 18. No, I think Henry, it's six years. I think he was, he wasn't more than like nine, maybe 10 before. I uh, see that's that. Okay. So he's 16, maybe 17, 17 and 21. That's not horrible. Okay. Not terrible. You're right. But that's the, that's as close as they can be in age. I think, and I think it might yeah. be more than that. So yeah, 18, 22 would be better, but 17, 21, that'd be all right. I guess. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, anyways, what happens next? Uh, Daryl's talking to Henry. He says that the dog checks the traps and he's never got stuck like that before. So pretty smart dog. He thanks Henry for the help, but, uh, he doesn't want his mom to know that they had trouble. Henry doesn't want to know, want, want Carol to know, uh, Daryl and Daryl mentions that there've been more and more walkers lately. So I thought that was an interesting little tidbit as well, that there's an increase in the number of zombies coming by. Um, and Henry talks about how Carol misses and worries about Daryl and so on. And then he basically says to him that it would be okay to have you come and watch over me. It's a, it's a nice bonding moment between Henry and Daryl, I think. Yeah, it is. 
So there you go. Um, Back to Luke and the group with Michonne and everybody. He's talking about the violin and how valuable it was. Uh, Sadiq cannot believe that he was traveling with, with instruments, but Jason, he didn't have you there to explain why it's important. So uh, Luke tries to do it, and he says that they are art. And he tells a story about how humans survived over Neanderthals because of artistic endeavors like this. Uh, notably, he's talking about a 40,000-year-old 40, 40, flute, and he says that by sharing stories and building communities and, you know, music and songs are all part of that. It's what separates us from the animals and it's necessary to rebuild society. Absolutely is. So there you and go. And I think that uh, the biggest problem I have with uh, with that kind of narrative now is that when in the zombie apocalypse, that all makes perfect sense. But in the last 40 or 50 years of music, uh, music has stopped becoming it stopped being an event and has become a thing. Mm -hmm. You collect music, you get albums, you get, uh, you watch videos, that kind of thing. You have uh, record collections and you listen to them when you want. Uh, but before you had mechanical recordings of music, you, uh, in order to hear music, you had to be somewhere with somebody playing music. Right. And it was an event. Now it's a thing. And that's the biggest problem I have with, uh, with that is I, um, uh, I've always, always said, ever since I was like 18, for being a musician, I'm surprisingly uninterested in music. Mm -hmm. Perhaps I do have an album collection, but I don't listen to music like hardly ever. Mm -hmm. And I love listening to music. I just, I just so much more enjoy playing it than I do listening to it. Sure. It's, to me, it's always been an event rather than a thing. And the zombie apocalypse and, and what he was talking about, uh, you know, the Neanderthals, surviving over the Neanderthals, is that uh, it was an event. It was community uh, building. It was, you know, everybody getting together to listen to music, and it was enjoyable, and uh, it was a way of building com uh, camaraderie. And yep. uh, so he's absolutely right in saving musical instruments, because in the zombie apocalypse, there probably isn't a lot of uh, skills left to make musical instruments. So you got to save the ones we already have. Right. And use them to bring people together. Yeah. All right. Well, Michonne is skeptical of this attitude, it seems like. Uh, but, you know, that's Michonne. And I think you and I think Luke have, have a good point here. Now, while he's telling this story, it's we see Yumiko and she's lying with her head in Magna's lap. And... To me, they appeared to be rather intimate. So here's a, here's another scene, Jason, where two characters, there's an implication of a relationship, but I think it's much stronger here than it is with Aaron and, and Jesus earlier. So, Well, it, there was cuddling involved. It, right. So it appears that Yumiko and Magna are a couple or at least very close and a little bit intimate with each other. Yeah. I mean, there might not be a thing, right? Because... Uh, uh, Magna was interested in, in Bernie, right? Well, she, yeah, but I don't think it was clear she, she was romantically interested in Bernie. I mean, it was just a I strong so. friendship. I don't know. I'm but, not sure. Like, I, it's hard to tell at this point which is the romantic relationship. It could be both. You know, they could, uh, you know, mm -hmm. everybody has their own way of doing things. Sure. And their own uh, interests. Uh, it, they could have been, the three of them could have been like a, a it's, I can't call them a couple. Would you would call it a few. Uh, a, a, a trio. 
Yeah. Anyway, they could all have been together. It could have been uh, who knows what's going on. It might be just comfort. I mean, squirrels do that, right? Uh, they absolutely. When you watch two squirrels running around chasing each other, they absolutely despise each other. They're absolute mortal enemies. Like squirrels fight all the time. Right? Yeah. They're not really uh, uh, pack animals, but in the winter, uh, when they're little dens in the trees, they cuddle up. Sure. Like they for for warmth in uh, on the cold winter nights, they'd like lay down the uh, the animosity and then just go okay i know that as soon as we wake up i'm going to chase you around and probably try and kill you because you stupid bastard you've been stay- stealing all my nuts but for tonight you know just for the sake of survival we're going to we're going to you know we're going to be together it all just comes hang out. all comes back to squirrels man there's so much we can learn from squirrels yeah like you know you can have a lot of fatty nuts but just do a lot of cardio <laughs> and cuddle up at night there and then cuddle up at night with your enemies. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, they might just have been together for comfort, mm-hmm. you know, just, uh, in this, this trying time, but they might be a couple as well. We don't have enough information. All right. Fair enough. Cut to the morning and they're hanging around packing. Michonne is reminding Sadiq to take supplies, but he wants her to come with them. And, he now tells Michonne that Maggie is gone and that Jesus is in charge. So Michonne did not know that Maggie had left. That amount of communication had not been present between these communities. So that's interesting. Well, they've not been present with Michonne. Uh, right. Like they've been excluding, specifically excluding Michonne from this uh, uh, community communication. Yeah, yeah, and we don't know why. So I think this all plays into something that happened during the last six years, probably involving Maggie, Michonne, and Daryl. And now all three of them are alienated from each other to a certain degree, and Mich- yep. and Maggie has completely left. So there's definitely more story to, to tell here, and, and we're going to get it, I hope. But uh, Michonne starts to ask, ask where Maggie is, but they realize that walkers are coming and we see Connie touching the floor. So she must be able to feel vibrations of oncoming walkers, which is cool. Yeah. Cool superpower to have in the zombie it, apocalypse. It really is a superpower. Yeah, I know. To like, I, I don't think I could do that, but it's pretty neat. Uh, so they all run outside, you know, all the new people. Luke and Michonne, or I mean, Luke and Magna and everybody, they want their weapons, uh, but, but initially Michonne won't give them back. So they start fighting with whatever they can. But Michonne finally tells DJ to distribute the weapons, which he does. And they kind of flank out to kill the walkers. And there's a lot of them around um, in, in the area that they have been hiding. Uh, Connie and Kelly are using slingshots, which are pretty cool. And they're very good with those slingshots. I Super accurate. I don't know if slingshots can be that accurate, but. What do I know? I never owned a slingshot. There you go. In the hands of experts like these two, they're very accurate. Luke nearly gets taken out, um, but he survives. Yumiko has an awesome bow. I thought she was really cool with that bow. And she somehow uses it to take down like a whole roof covering on a bunch of zombies. But, you know, whatever. She's she's super cool with the bow, so it works. That's that's because she probably had, remember we talked about this, uh, frog crotch arrows? Frog crotch arrows, yes. That's right, yeah. So maybe she had some frog crotch arrows that she used to uh, cut a uh, uh, a rope stay that was holding that roof up somehow. I don't know. She must have. It crashed down, though, and took out a bunch of zombies. That was cool. And then 
at a certain point in the middle of the fight, they come across Zombie Bernie. And we know this because of his awesome t- shirt, Paisley shirt that we, we heard about before earlier in the episode. Uh, I assumed it was because of his haircut that we knew it was Bernie. And I was like, yeah, that's Bernie's haircut. No, I can tell. it was the shirt. Oh. <laughs> Uh, and this is also how I know they, they weekend and Bernie'd him around for a while. Cause he had this shirt on, which kind of reminded me of weekend of Bernie's. Yeah. Um, Magna of course looks totally distraught and she sort of freezes, but Michonne kills Bernie and they leave. Very nicely. She kills him very gently and, uh, humanely. Mm-hmm. And, uh, it was, it was actually quite, uh, it was quite graceful. It, it, it really was. Jack on the internet writes, holy crap. That was an awful shirt. Paisley's 1993 called It Wants Its Bad Taste Back. Michonne put him out of his misery in more ways than one. And there then and then Chuck in Chesapeake, Virginia writes, Holy crap, did you see that? Yada, yada, yada. Our heroes are surrounded by zombies. Michonne puts down their former friend and yada, yada, yada. They're on the road to Hilltop. Nice. So, he was the last one. He was their leader. Once you killed their leader, they're like, ah, we got to go the other way. We, what are we going to do? They cut our head off. That's it. Well, they, they, uh, zombies, uh, collect around, uh, sound, right? Like they go towards sound and smell and, uh, they use their senses to follow things around that are interesting. Mm-hmm. Right. So I assume that this shirt counts as a thing that zombies would follow. So I'm going to have to go ahead and say that Bernie was their leader. Uh-huh. Even, you know, not, maybe not intentionally, but they all followed him around. And as soon as they killed Bernie, they all just went, well, that shirt's down. So maybe there's a, <laughs> a noise somewhere else that they would uh, head off towards. Maybe there's another loud shirt we can follow somewhere. Yeah. That's right. So maybe there, uh, our survivors here are making a mistake by using uh, noises and uh, dynamite to uh, direct zombies. Maybe they just need to go find some loud shirts. (laughs) That's right. And just hang them up on trees and they can just create a loud shirt path, an ugly shirt path for the zombies to follow. Yeah. See, there you go. That's the thing. Well, we take a commercial break and when we come back, we're with Carol and Daryl, they're packing up the camp. So obviously he's agreed to come and Carol looks very happy about this. They kind of have small talk about sleeping well and, uh, and she seems pleased. We go back with Michonne and the group on the road, and they come to sort of an intersection, and Michonne says they can go their own way from here. You know, she's talking about suffering, but she's going to head back to to uh, Alexandria. And Yumiko says they just need to find a safe home and they so they can stop their suffering. And Sadiq apologizes to Michonne for not telling her about Maggie, He reveals to her that she's with Georgie in a faraway community. And the most interesting thing he said, I think, was that I promised someone that I wouldn't say anything. Yeah. So we don't know who the someone is yet. But again, I feel like that's important information that will be revealed at some point. And he also implies that Maggie's absence means that Michonne can come to Hilltop once again. Yeah, so it's a specific beef between Michonne and Maggie. Well, yeah, or something like that, exactly. So Michonne wants to turn around because she doesn't feel comfortable going to Hilltop if Maggie's there. But now he says, well, she's not there anymore, so you can come. It'll be okay. So they're really dropping in a lot of hints 
about something that happened here that has alienated these two communities really badly from each other. So yeah, I am very curious to find out what's going on, but Michonne still declines and says that she promised Judith, meaning she'd get back to Judith, but Sadiq says, yeah, but what about your promise to Carl? So it, there's all kinds of factors here that we don't really understand yet. And uh, I think it's going to be awesome. So yeah. Interesting little bits of stuff they're dropping in. As they're standing there talking, two riders approach on horseback, and Michonne recognizes them based on their weapons and their armor as being from the hilltop. And one of them mentions that they have injured Rosita and that they're on their way back to Alexandria to tell the folks there about Rosita. And Michonne says to let them know that she's okay, they're safe but we're still going to Hilltop. So it's kind of this funny dynamic that I had to watch a couple times to fully understand. The two riders from Hilltop are on their way to Alexandria. Yep. Michonne and the group are on their way to Hilltop, and yep. Michonne tells those guys, okay, go to Alexandria and let them know that I'm not coming back. I'm going to Hilltop. There you go. Yeah, it just took me a couple times to sort that out in my brain um, when I watched the episode. So Yeah, well, you're not very smart, so... I know. Take it a while. It's it's tough. It's tough. Now, before they... Oh, and one of those guys uh, is played by... Um, uh, shoot, what's his name? Um, C. Thomas Howell, I think is his name. C. No, Thomas Howell? No, really? Known actor, yeah. Um, yeah, so he. we don't know if this is a cameo or if he's going to be on the show anymore. You wouldn't think that they'd bring in a name, recognizable face like this just for... This one scene, so you th- you figure he's got to be around some more, but yeah, see Thomas Howell. Um, That's weird. So there you go. I know it is a little bit weird. I it is him too, son of a bitch. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you know, I am bad at recognizing people unless they're super well known, uh, or you know, I live with them. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> so so I didn't recognize him, but he's been in all kinds of stuff. And oh yeah, and most people did recognize him. So. You know, there you go. I figure he's going to be a new semi-regular character on the show. So, there you, so that's fun. That's fun. Yeah. Um, now, anyways, before the group moves on, Connie seems like she detects something in the woods. And we know she can feel vibrations on the floor. So now she seems to detect something in the woods. They all look around for a second, but she says it's nothing and they move on. So do you think they're being followed? Uh, I think they're being followed by zombies. I think so. I think they might be being followed by talking zombies. Yeah. We'll see. Uh, but she says it's nothing and they move on. Uh, we see Daryl, Carol and Henry arriving at Hilltop. Daryl is leading the way on his motorcycle and Noop J on the internet writes, holy crap, can you suspend your disbelief? So we are what? Six years past the bridge exploding, which was two years past Negan getting caught, which was two years since the outbreak. So like 10 years in and that motorcycle is still running. (laughs) It's running on corn. It must be. We know that. Yeah. Uh, You know, the, uh, the old saviors were uh, making corn fuel. That's right. So I assume that he uh, was able to modify it properly and that uh, maybe he, maybe corn fuel lasts longer than gasoline. And then it was filled with corn fuel for the last two years, sitting, leaning up against a tree. And mm-hmm. that's fine. 
Yeah, maybe. I don't know. But that's that's the explanation that they converted it to run on, what do you call that, biofuel? Bio, biodiesel. Corn fuel, sure. And so that's why it still runs. He's really got the only motorized vehicle that's still going that we've seen in season nine, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And on yep. one hand, I love that about season nine, that we don't have cars constantly everywhere. It's all horses. Yep. And having Daryl have a motorcycle still running on bio corn fuel, you know what? I can I can be on board with it. He's got one of his one of his wings on his vest is ripped off. So there's that. Like he's missing a wing. Oh wow. So let him have his motorcycle. I didn't even notice the angel wing got being missing, but you're right. Let the guy have his motorcycle. <laughs> yeah. So anyways, they ride in. Henry, this is where we find out he wants to know if Enid is still here and uh he clearly has this giant crush on her. They all greet Tara and Jesus and Aaron. And Aaron tells Daryl that Eugene is missing and that they could use his help going out to find him, which he immediately agrees to, of course. Henry wants to go, but Carol denies him, saying that he's got to stay and get settled. And we find out that Jesus is going as well. So Tara changes her tune and agrees to stay and run Hilltop. So these two have finally found the right roles that they should be in. Absolutely. And I think that's great. So here we are right at the end. We get Daryl and team ride out with dog leading the way at like full speed. That dog could run, man. Oh boy. What? I said, oh boy. Oh boy. I yeah. Said, yeah, that dog can run. <laughs> we get a big wide sweeping drone shot as they, they head out again, like a big, beautiful shot of the surrounding sort of area in front of Hilltop there and dogs leading the way. Daryl's on his bike. We got the people on horseback cut to black episode is over so the eugene rescue mission is on and aaron is going out with them as well too yep um so there you have it uh a couple more holy craps for the end here trisha and massachusetts writes i love that tracker daryl and his sniffing dog are heading out with aaron and jesus the gang's back together and adam in texas writes holy crap is it just me or was that the most tonally upbeat episode ending ever the panning aerial shot of hilltop the music swelling then cut to credits and the dire music now i don't know if dire music really fits in with tonally upbeat but i see what he's saying it it wasn't a little bit way a bit of an upbeat ending even though eugene is missing it sort of ah, they'll find him it sort of felt fine. good that we had this like super capable team of awesomeness going out to find him so i feel good about his chances Absolutely. He's just, he's sitting in a barn. I assume it's a concrete barn like we were talking about. Right. And then he's up in the hayloft, uh, hanging out with uh, some ducks, I assume. Yeah. <laughs> or maybe a donkey. That's where you find a donkey. Oh, that, yeah, that's where you would find a donkey. That's for sure. There you go. So, uh, so you know, overall, Jason, I thought this was another really, really solid episode. To me, it felt a little bit like a bridge to get us oh absolutely between like to get us into the fin into the mid-season finale you know from post rick uh kind of all a lot of stage setting a lot of information dump about what the communities are like now and the fact that there's this um wedge between them but still you know still a, a great episode we we see daryl doing some weird stuff out in the forest we get some good character development with, um, I guess, with Henry, really. I mean, 
Carol is sort of a, a pretty established character at this point. Um, great stuff with Jesus and Tara. I thought it's the most Jesus has had to do in like three seasons. <laughs> I think it's the most anybody has had to do in three seasons. I don't know how they we've been had a we've had a show before, and it seemed like nobody was talking. But now everybody's talking. Everybody's and, talking. But it's having you know conversations and things are happening and like well what the hell we what have we been doing for the last two years? I know, I know. It feels like things are just moving along, and it's it's so great. Um. You know, some interesting stuff with Magna and all that crew, uh, although they have in a way just sort of been passengers for a little while, just kind of being told what to do and being led places, which, you know, won't be the case forever. So I'm I'm kind of OK with that. Um, and then uh, and then the, the Rosita thing, like what an amazing tease right at the beginning of the episode. And I can't wait to find out where Eugene is and what happened to him and what is the deal. With talking walkers, <laughs> that's right. And yeah, the next episode, I guess there we're going to have that scene of the uh, the walkers all milling around in the circle. That's right. Yeah, that we saw in the trailer for the next three episodes after after Rick's final one. So, yep, um, good stuff. So, despite it being a little bit of a bridge episode, uh, I I think that's a much nicer term than filler because I do not think this was filler in any way. Uh, I feel like we got to know more about what life is like six years later and it set up a lot of fun stuff. And I think we're in, going to be in for a pretty awesome mid season finale. Uh, yep. I think so too. Hey, I have a question. Sure. Does it feel to you like the first half of season nine has flown by? And I don't mean the pace of the episodes, but I just mean like just the, the us watching them and podcasting about them. It feels like it's, gone by at the speed of light it it has gone pretty quick it i, I don't know if uh, it's necessarily just a feeling i think time has actually sped up <laughs> time has in fact sped up it's not just in my mind <laughs> that's right well i think it's interesting because i got to admit sometimes during season seven and eight it kind of felt to me like a half a season would take a long time and it would just be not a slog, because I never not enjoy doing this, but something about season nine has felt like it's just blown by, and I feel like we just started it, but it was... Seven, well, we started it twice, is the is the problem. It was seven weeks ago when it really started, though, you know? Yeah. So it started, and we had a whole bunch of episodes, and then it started again, and we've had a few episodes, and we're just getting the, the pace going again, and all of a sudden, the first half of the season's over. You know what? Maybe that's what it is. Maybe it was kind of like a false start there. You know, the best relationships have a false start. I don't know if it's a false start, okay. but it's a second start. Okay. Start number, it's like second lunch, second start. Yeah, second breakfast. Second breakfast. All right. Uh, maybe that has to do with it. I don't know. It's But uh, it just feels like the time has flown by, so it's been great, and I'm super excited for for next week's episode. Me too. Anyways, uh, before that, we will have our feedback show later on this week for this episode. So... Uh, let us know what you think about this one. If you agree or disagree or, you know, have any thoughts on, on our take on this thing, uh, we want to hear from you. We'll be recording that on Thursday and, uh, you know, to send in some feedback for that visit talkingdeadpodcast.com. click on send voicemail at the top, or even better, just record your thoughts into your phone. If you have a smartphone and then email us that audio recording, that is wonderful, uh, because it, you know, results in pretty solid sound quality cool 
visit us on Twitter at Talking Dead or on Facebook at facebook.com slash the Talking Dead. And of course, you can send email to talkingdeadpodcast at gmail.com. That works as well. Now that we're leading into the end of the first half of season nine, we'd love it if you visited our iTunes page, search for us on iTunes and leave a review there. They like to sometimes feature noteworthy stuff. And with Walking Dead mid-season finale coming up, they may consider Walking Dead podcasts noteworthy. So if we get a few extra reviews there, that would be wonderful. Maybe we'll get featured and that's a great way to help support and bring in new listeners and so on. Who knew after nine years, we'd still be like bringing in new listeners, but you know, <laughs> it's, it's awesome. It's awesome. So uh, leave a review on iTunes or, or, you know, whatever other podcasting platform you happen to use and can leave reviews on iTunes just happens to be the most ubiquitous. So that's a good one to choose. All right. That's going to do it. I think we'll see you later on this week, everyone with our feedback show until then. My name is Chris. My name is Jason. Thanks for listening. Ciao.